Welcome to Daybreak Devotions, a podcast version of the daily radio ministry of the McLeansville Baptist Church with your host, Pastors Mike Barnett and Corey Cantrell. It's a wild and woolly Wednesday here on Daybreak Devotions from the McLeansville Baptist Church. You have no idea what you're in for today, but we are so glad you chose to spend this half hour with us. We promise you will not be disappointed. What is a woolly Wednesday? I've been sitting here waiting on that introduction to finish so that I could ask. I don't know that I have ever heard of a woolly Wednesday. It's a wild and woolly Wednesday. Oh, wild and woolly. Yeah. That go, if you say wild and woolly, there's no explanation needed. Gotcha. Like a wild and woolly worm. Or a wild and woolly, woolly, woolly. <laughs> <laughs> See, folks, you have no idea what you're in for. Oh, this is just the beginning of, of joys. beginning of joys is upon us. Yes, thank you for joining us today. It is the final day of our revival meeting here at McLeansville Baptist Church, and we thank the Lord for all the goodness that has come from that. We uh, we appreciate we appreciate friends coming and joining us and 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 blessing us with their uh, participation. Mm-hmm. And we'd like to say thank you. You know who you are, and if you don't know who you are, I don't know who you are either. Okay. But thank but you. But we're thankful for everybody that's come, regardless. <laughs> yeah, because if you don't know, uh, if you don't claim to be our friend, we're not going to claim you either. <laughs> we don't care about what you think. Isn't that what you said the other day? I don't no, remember half the stuff I said. Your exact words the other day were poo poo on you. <laughs> well, I thought she was going to go back to the can I get a Bill Clinton? <laughs> <laughs> that was a live and in person McLeansvilleism. That wasn't even a daybreak devotionism. You see, that's what you get when you just put that thing in gear and put the hammer <laughs> down. You get the good stuff. Well, anyway, uh, it is Wednesday, and true to our standard and Due to large public demand, we do have this. Ladies and gentlemen, this week's Wednesday's Word of the Week. I promised you I was going to bring a cutting-edge word today. Cutting edge. So here it is. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say there's very few people listening, to include you, who've ever heard this word before. Okay. But I'm still going to ask you to try to guess at it. Okay. The word for this week is snickersnee. Snickersnee? Yep, Snickersnee. And if you want to know how to spell it, it's just like Snickers with an N-E-E on the end. Snickersnee. So, give it your best shot. Can you give it to me in a sentence first, or you want me just to, would you rather me just off the cuff just hearing the word? Well, I can give you a sentence. Give me just a second to think of how to word this. That verbal altercation over by the water cooler turned into quite a Snickersnee. Oh, is that like a ruckus? Well, like a... Like that, like a, that escalated quickly. Like, boy, it, that really ratcheted up in intensity. It was. You're in the right vein. Okay. Let's just say that it would involve a little bit of. Um, we hear people say, "Oh, was that a, was a knife in the back." Oh. That was. Ooh, they cut him up over the. Ooh. So it was more than a heated exchange. Oh yeah, it, it's more like a. An assault. It could be two people snickersneeing one another, or it could be a couple of people snickersneeing somebody that ain't even there. Wow. Yeah. If you use it in that that way. So it would be synonymous with like backbiting. Or backstabbing. That too. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm giving you serious hints right now. Wow. Yeah, so snickersnee, it comes from the Dutch phrase, stecken of snijden. (laughs) Okay. Which means to thrust or cut. Okay. 
over time, Snick and Snee became Snick or Snee, and Snickersnee followed. So it just got kind of run all together. So it was so, the lazification of two other words that yeah, produced this one word. Yeah, so it went from Snicken of Snyden to Snickersnee. <laughs> and you can see how that would happen. Yeah, of course. Uh, it's been in our English ever since at least around the middle of the 17th century. Earliest evidence comes from Thomas Washburn, a poem published in 1654, which I'm going to give you in just a moment. Okay. Because I'm going to use this in a, I want to say like a, what's the word for like a highfalutin sort of? uh, Pompous? No, not pompous. That would be like arrogant. Oh. oh, oh. But I want to use this in a, like like when someone goes to, to like Harvard and Yale or Someone's in high society. Like they're like prestigious. Uh, okay, well, we'll use that word then. Pompous and prestigious. Not what I was after, but it'll work. But anyway, the actual definition. Uh, number one definition: to engage in cut and thrust with knives. Oh, like literally. Yeah. Like fencing, but not for sport. Right. It's like <laughs> to kill somebody. Yeah. Cut them up real bad. It's like bringing so, a, it's like bringing a knife to a gunfight. So you see what I was saying? That, yeah. Well, that conversation over by the water cooler turned into a real snickersnee. Oh, man. Like a cut and thrust. They were cutting them up over there. And it's also a large knife. A ah. snickersnee would be a large knife. So do you have a snickersnee at home? Uh, I mean, I've got a butcher's knife. That's probably close. Okay. But if you had an Arkansas toothpick, now you'd have yourself a snickersnee. Oh, all righty. Or a Bowie knife. Like old Jim had at the Alamo. I remember that. Yep. It's a good thing to remember. Well, anyway, here's the poem. I told you this this is going to be a high-class, highfalutin, high-society, no-nonsense poem. I mean, to be honest with you, this is above our pay grade and probably above our listeners' pay grade. So it's classy. Classy. There you go. That's the word. The title of the poem is, To the Common Drunkard, Falsely Call... A good fellow. (laughs) (laughs) Cannot friends meet, but they must drink to excess? Must all your mirth conclude in drunkenness? A curse to be he brought it in fashion first, before you were content to quench your thirst, and not exceed three or four cups at most. Now you carouse till all of your reasons lost, and like to overheated Dutchmen ye, drink till you fight and fall to snickersnee. Oh, man. That was a beautiful rendering. Well said. I wish I would have got a little more of that accent earlier. In the- <laughs> <laughs> but there you have it. A little bit of a, a little bit of a snickersnee going on in some parts of the world. Yes, so there is. I hope everybody get a chance to use that word this week because that is a good one. Go out and use the word, but don't snickersnee anyone. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is this week's Wednesday Word of the Week. I'm going to tell you something. Most places you'd have to pay to get that kind of an education right you got, there. You got that right. But we look, we view it as a public service. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. In the words of Deacon Dean in our other venue, you are welcome. Indeed. Well, we have been uh, working our way through Revival Week, as I mentioned earlier. Each evening of the Revival, I have offered a, a word which kind of came out of a praying and leading into this week for our church. There are three words that I have emphasized, three things that we need to give to God. And as I mentioned, these are things which are ours that we must choose to give to God. They will not be taken, at least not in ways that would be enjoyable. 
But the words are attention, our attention, our affection, and our allegiance. Now, on Monday night, I started out by sharing just a brief word about giving our attention to God. And so I was looking at Proverbs 23 and verse 26, and this verse says, My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. I, I noticed as I continued to look at that verse Monday evening how all three of those words are actually represented in that passage. You have, my son, give me thine heart. So give me is a, would be an act of allegiance. Show your allegiance. Show your trust. Show your confidence by giving it to me. And then give what? Give thee mine heart, which is our affection. We're going to talk about that word a little bit, um, in, maybe tomorrow. But then let thine eyes observe my ways would be the, the attention part of that. But what I noticed is that our attention has to first come from our heart. So, my son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. It's the same with affection and allegiance. All of it has to originate in our heart. So we, we're giving God our heart. Um, when our heart, which is our, our inmost being, our desire, our spirit, it is the truest part of us. When that part of us is fixed on God, then what happens is we're able to make some spiritual gains in our life. And that's what you're after with revival. We talked about that in yesterday's broadcast. You know, the whole purpose of having a meeting like this is for renewal and renovation and repentance and being the, becoming the kind of people that are reaching the lost and all those things we discussed. So we want to make spiritual gains. And that's why we looked at Second Peter chapter 1 and what Peter lays out for us there. But I mentioned this uh, phrase on Monday night, attention economy. Did you recognize that, the attention economy? Not necessarily that exact phraseology, but I recognized hearing that our attention is currency. This was the word I was more familiar with. Yeah, I meant to go back and pull out uh, the resilient book by John Eldridge because I'm pretty sure it's in that book that he talks about this. Okay. Probably in the Get Your Life Back too. I, I probably owe a little more of a uh, go back and read that because – I think that may be where I first heard this really put into this idea, but it came back to me as I was thinking about this word attention, and so I did, you know, I did some research online of attention economy, and it basically has to do with the way that information is being processed and disseminated into our lives and into the public life in order to grab the attention of potential consumers, mm -hmm. and it's because our attention is now considered to be the prime commodity in the market today. Of course, when I said that before, and I say that now, it makes me wonder, when did that start, and what was the prime commodity back before that? Cattle? Land? Probably your, yeah, I guess, something like that, like, like the barter trade system. Yeah, yeah. but I'm, I'm almost sort of suggesting, I guess, that probably to some degree it's always been true. It's just that... It's been identified now, and, and it's being capitalized on. Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe the prime commodity back in the day was just survival. It was the essentials of just making it. So maybe we could trace that back to the will. See, back when, when the appeal was, buy this, do this, because you want to live or live well. Mm -hmm. So to the point of the... The attention today, why it has become such a commodity, is because of the form and the way in which we live. 
we all know that we are glued to television, or not, not, not just television, but screens. Yes. Screens are such a huge part of our life, and there's so much attention grabbing going on there. So we know all these things about spam, right? Now, some of you are thinking, I love spam. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, in my Blue Zone book that I read, they said, the, the author said that the World Health Organization considers spam upper-tier carcinogens along with, uh, like, smoking as far as a danger to your health. Really? Public service announcement there, folks. So get rid of your spam. Not only is it disgusting and fake ham, but it's literally killing you. Yeah. Of course, I will admit, when I was in Iraq back in 2010, I might have told you about this, but the, the that was a big thing we had these uh these guys that were that were from that area that they would they would cook up this stuff it would be like egg and spam and put it in a pita bread and guys loved it i guess because it was different when we were not long ago in the uh the navajo reservation they had something like that was a that was a delicacy type thing it was some concoction with spam and i was like wait, wait a minute can you use spam and delicacy in the same sentence but apparently you can Yep, it's all in what you want. So marketers know if they get your attention, they can get into your wallet by way of your heart mm-hmm. because that's where the affection piece comes in. So we call it paying attention because when we give our attention to something, you can't get that back, and we have a limited capacity to pay attention, which goes into the whole idea of the falsity of being a multitasker. multitasker. Yep. Thank you. It doesn't actually work very well because we only have the ability to do so much and do it well at one time so here's what happens though attention is what opens the door for affection lamentations 351 mine eye affecteth mine heart what i see affects the way i feel but if we go back to proverbs 23 26 what's in my heart will direct my my looking or my eyes my attention so it's like this circle i was Literally drawing, trying to draw this out in my, in my journaling, my note journal, um, the other morning. So desire leads to what I'm looking at, what I see, which leads to my desire, which leads to seeing. And I was thinking, this is a crazy cycle. So what breaks that? And this is how my mind works. I was thinking, what breaks that? Well, there's a passage in Psalm 119. Let me let me turn there. This will be helpful, I think, not to just reference it, but to actually read it. So Psalm 119. Verse 33 through 40, this little eight-verse eight segment. Listen to some of these verses. Verse 34 says, Give me understanding. Where does understanding happen? In the heart. In the heart. Now, yes. we might think at first, well, we understand with our mind. But we reason with our mind. We process with our mind. But that's the key, the key takeaway, the key understanding is that the understanding of what we're processing has to happen in our heart. So very important to make that distinction. Give me understanding. I can't move past that. So much of the problem that we have in society, culture, whether it's the church, our families, relationships in any place, is because people think they're understanding. But do you hear what I just said? They think they're understanding. There is a difference between what's happening in your brain as you process facts and where you bring the heart into it. Now, everybody has to ultimately bring the heart into it, but which heart are we operating out of? We use that vernacular a lot, though, of people that have a head knowledge. Mm-hmm. We've got to get it from your head to your heart. A head knowledge needs to become a heart knowledge. And we're familiar with that terminology, but we're not really familiar with the application of that. 
you know, it goes back to the other week. Do we really have belief or do we have belief in our beliefs? And it's it's the same thing. Your heart, having that understanding, it's it's almost like an experiential, like, hey, you're not going to shake me on it. I, I felt it. I, 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 this is, this is not just truth. This is my truth. It's part of who I am. It's woven into the fabric of my being. It's not just like, like mental ascent of fact, but mm-hmm. I'm anchored in this. Well, so the question may be, well, then are you guys saying that, I mean, I, I, I thought that we, we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and we're saved. Yes, but remember what Paul wrote with the heart man believeth. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what we're talking about here. So back to the text. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Okay? Observation. That's attention. All of it coming out of a heart. Uh, make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. Incline my heart unto thy testimonies, and not to covetous, covetousness. So notice that. Incline my heart unto thy testimonies. Help my attention be on your testimonies. And the very next verse says, Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity. In verse number 38, Establish thy word unto thy servant who is devoted to thy fear. Turn away my reproach which I, which I fear. So all of this direction that he's asking for in his life, all coming from a heart that wants to do the right thing, see that what's breaking the cycle of seeing and desiring and making sure, not not breaking the cycle, what's making that cycle stay on the right path, I should say, is the allegiance piece. It's the praying. That's what breaks that, what could be a crazy cycle and makes it a holy cycle, is prayer is the moderator in all of this. Prayer that he is offering to be focused on the Word of God. He's saying, Lord, help my attention to be on your truth. Then this cycle which is my desire is operating off what I'm seeing because what I'm seeing is a good thing. My desire will be a good thing. Therefore, I am looking for more of the good thing. It sounds simple, and I want to say, as I said the other night, it is very simple, but it is so opposed, so difficult. The most simple things can be the most difficult because they are the most opposed. Opposed by what? Opposed by our enemies. Can I just bounce all over the place? Do it. I've been carrying this around for a couple of days. What are our enemies? I, I wrote some things. This is coming out of my study in Psalm 119 again the other day as well. I really want to deal with this maybe in the church at some point. So if you're listening to the radio broadcast, you get a little look ahead. But I was, I was looking at what we, we talked about being happy last week. And that was Psalm 119, verse 1 through 8. Well, when I got into Psalm 119, verse 9 through 16... I started looking at, well, what keeps me holy? And we talked about both those things, happy and holy and how they go together. But what keeps me holy? And, and I'll just give you this running couple of statements. If you break down Psalm 119, verse 9 through 16, here's the way I see it. What keeps me holy? Fortify the heart with the word of God. That's verse 9 through 12. I know that sounds so like, okay, I've heard it. But I would say to the listener, look at that passage and see how it's described there, um, how he's fortifying his heart with the word of God. But then he's following the Lord with practical religion. Now, again, that's verse 13 and 14. But you'll find that he's speaking the word of God in applicable, powerful ways in his life. And he's surrendering to that sacred way more and more as he goes along. 
So this is what's keep, this is what's keeping me holy. I've already learned how to be happy in the Lord, but this is what keeps me holy. And the third thing is to fix the soul on the faithfulness of God. Oh my goodness, you and I both know we got a lot of people that struggle because they're trying to fix their soul on their faithfulness to God. Mm-hmm. That is really tough to do because we are so prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone yep. to leave the God I love. But if we fix our soul on the faithfulness of God or the faithfulness to the God who takes care of us, that's verse 15 and 16. Just stay the mind on God's wisdom and God's way. Uh, soak the heart in God's promises. Now, all of that I said to get back to the enemies. I made a side note when I was writing all that out and reflecting on it. I said, you know what? We have to acknowledge the spiritual battle here. There's a real spiritual battle going on when we try to do this. Because, again, we can say to our friends, we can talk about it here, fortify your, your heart in the Word of God. Man, we all know that's true. And we can say, follow the Lord in practical religion, and we can lay out ways that we do that. Those are absolutely essential. We, under, we get it. Fix the soul and the faithfulness of God. Okay, now, the reality is that's simple, but it isn't easy because we have enemies. So what are the enemies? I wrote down three enemies. So I'll get your take on this. Number one, distraction. So much of this is available and assaulting us on a regular basis, this distraction. It's everywhere. And it's to keep us from fortifying our heart. So I'm going to give you these three things that go with the three ways that we keep ourselves holy. The distraction assaults the fortification of our heart because we have to choose to separate, to clear that space so that we can fortify or reinforce our heart with God's Word. But the world offers us so much distraction. Mm-hmm. So... I want to see. I want to make that connection there. The world provides us distraction. That's one of our enemies. Okay, and it it really goes against the fortification of our heart. Do you see the connection there? Does that resonate? Yeah, absolutely. Because distraction, I think, is one that is easy to. Okay, yeah, it's not good, but is it? Is it really an enemy? Is it really fighting against me? I mean, it's just kind of harmless, right? You just to stay focused. Well, no, when we see distraction for the danger it is, I mean, we stress to our teenage drivers, don't be distracted drivers. Put your cell phone up. Don't be messing with the radio. Keep your eyes on the road because it's going to keep you from doing what you need to do to keep yourself and everybody else safe. But then for some reason we think in our life that distraction is, it's not a good thing, but ultimately it's kind of harmless. But it's just as destructive in a spiritual sense as it is in a physical sense. Well, I think this will help, too, if I say this about it. I think the distraction of the world that's being offered to us, I think it's a, it's a pain-stress issue. It has to do with our hurts. That's why we go into distraction. It's that medication-numbing thing. So yeah, it's like an escapism type thing. Which is why it keeps us from reinforcing our heart mm-hmm. in the Word of God. I've said this before. I, I acknowledge this. I am a wake up in the morning and go at it. You know, I mean, this is not a stay with my illustration I'm about to give, and you'll see I'm, this isn't a highlight my wonderful life of how I live holy. I got up this morning, and I probably spent the first hour and a half to hour and 45 minutes in my place of prayer with my Bible taking notes on what I'm meditating on before the Lord, just me and the Lord. And I love it. I couldn't get enough of it, right? 
Then I go throughout my day, and I'm the kind of guy, let's hit this thing hard, let's get stuff done. Well, then you take the hits through the day, right? We all take them, whatever, because the, every day is a battle. Mm-hmm. Every day is a battle. Boy, that reminds me. Somebody said that recently, and I wrote it down. Timothy Keller, in the book that I, I've referenced before, The Songs of Jesus, which is just like a devotional on the Psalms, he made this statement. I, I read it the other day. Every day is a battle. Will you operate out of your old self or your new self? Hmm. I thought, man, that is, that is spot on right there. But I, it made me think of that. Every day is a battle. And by the end of the day, here's what I like to do. My wife can attest to this. I can run hard, fight the battle, try to stay in there, stay in the trench. But as soon as I get home, when I probably really need another dose of what I had in the morning, it's very easy for me to just say, tap out, give me some Andy, give me some, you know, and just let me just, I just don't want to deal with anything. Yeah. That's not the best, but the world will offer you that distraction. Now, we've always said there are places and times for entertainment, things like that, but what is going on there? Is it the distraction that I'm giving into? And that's what we have to think about. Sure. Now, the second enemy, see if I can get these in before our time runs out today, but our second enemy that I, I thought of is, this one is what the flesh offers. The flesh offers us pretension. Now think about that for just a moment. Whichever way the pendulum swings for you, whether it's arrogance or abasement of yourself, both are forms of pride, both are pretension, and the flesh drives that. Pride will fight you, and fear will fight you when it comes to that second way that we stay holy, which is to follow the Lord in practical religion. And the flesh offers us this form of pretension. This, And again, what I said, whichever way it is for you. Some people, their pretension is to carry themselves like they are the thing. And it's just, a, it's just pretension. It's just putting on a show. Other people carry themselves like, you know, I'm really not much. And it's still coming from the same place. Mm-hmm. The flesh is offering you pretension to hide behind, which is just to keep you from following the Lord and doing the things that you ought to be doing. We all want to be thought well of. We all want to look good. We all want to be affirmed by others. And so we will let that become the most important thing in our life. Now, where the world's distraction is a pain issue, a hurt issue, a stress issue, I think this one, and and not that they're not related and they don't cross over, but this is an identity issue. It's a self-worth issue. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're supposed to find those things in our relationship with God. So, of course, the flesh, which harbors a lot of that pain that we talked about a moment ago, and the mistrust says, protect yourself from relationship. Project yourself in a way that will keep you safe, Mm -hmm. right? Does that make sense? Yeah, don't, don't run the risk of being exposed for the fraud that you think you are, and don't run the risk of realizing that you're not as awesome as you think you are. So just whatever your wall, whatever your mask that you're, you know, conveying to everybody else, just own it and it's better to it's better to accept the false self than to run the risk of being hurt by living in the true self. Because the reference to follow the Lord in practical religion is in verse 13 and 14 and listen to what he says there. And because this is what it cost us when we let the flesh take that from us. 
With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. Or one way we I think we would say that differently. We would say, I rejoiced in your testimony more than all the riches of the world. But see, that, that's what it cost us when we say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to speak the word of God. I'm not going to live from a place of rejoicing in the Lord because I want to be thought well of. Mm-hmm. I either think too highly of myself or too lowly of myself, and both are pride, and so I'm just going to protect. And so that is, I think, one of the great enemies that we face. Again, this all started talking about attention and giving God our heart, and we'll come back to that. Just not today, because I'm going to give you this third enemy, and we got to go. So the third enemy is, we've all heard the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? Well, uh-huh. where are we going? We're going to the devil. And whereas the world offers us distraction, the flesh offers us pretension, the devil offers us, will fight us with suppression. The This idea of suppression, when you hear suppress, it means what? It means to keep one down, to hold you down to keep you from excelling, okay? This is the product or the offspring of distraction and pretension when they get together. It's suppression. That's why the devil's behind it all. The devil is tempting your flesh. The devil is in, is behind the forces of the world system, and it is all about keeping you under. It is the over-importance of the lesser causes in your life. It is living for things that don't matter, and the devil will assist you with that. That is the the offspring of distraction and pretension when it comes together. It'll cause you to live big over something that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It'll cause you to rise up to something that's not even important. And you know, and I know, this happens in the church world too. Yep. We make we strain over gnats and swallow camels. Yes. Make mountains out of molehills. So this is when we are not keeping the main thing the main thing, but we are convinced that we are. Mm-hmm. That's the work of the devil. So while we think we are fixing the soul on God, in reality we fixed our soul on something else, politics, pleasures, our plans for life, and then we try to fix God into that. See, we think we fixed our soul on God, but we've actually fixed our soul on something else, and we're trying to then fit God into that which we have fixed our soul on. Yeah. That's the work of the devil. That's suppression. That's keeping you from living the life God has called you to. And which thing does that come up against? That comes up that point against point number three, which was fix your soul on the faithfulness of God. Fix your soul on the faithfulness to God. And this is when, let me say it this way, and, and I'll close with it. Suppression and living that way in this false sense of I'm doing well, I'm, I'm in God's cause, that's when what the Bible says and our interpretation of what the Bible says collide. Hmm. And we go with our interpretation of what the Bible says. Yeah. Because that's what we feel motivated by. I think all that is a relevance issue. I think it is coming from the place of, I want my life to matter, but it's more often than not fueled by anger or grief. And full circle, you're now back to the distractions. Because all this works together to keep us from being fixing our attention on God, giving our uh, affection to God, and giving our true allegiance to God. Yeah, because as, as you're explaining the three enemies, that's what I, I wrote down. All three of these are a direct correlation. You know, distraction is the enemy of, of our attention. It's, it's trying to, to provide a, a false thing for us to latch onto, and then our pretension 
is a direct result of us having a misplaced affection. The affection that should be for God is on ourself or our despising of ourself. And then the suppression being is keeping us from being allegiant to where our allegiance should lie. And so we're we're rallying behind causes. So it's it's all the counterfeit that Satan offers us for what should be reserved solely for God. Well said. Thank you. I think we should probably stop now because the old clock on the wall that doesn't buzz says we're out of time. Time to stop. So have a wonderful rest of your day, and we look forward to seeing you next time. And we thank you for joining us on today's program. We hope that you'll tune in with us each and every day right here on Daybreak Devotions as Pastor Mike and I will discuss various topics in God's Word. If you've got any questions, comments, we would love to hear from you at daybreakdevotion at gmail.com.